right, well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to have you here with us as we are in the third week of our series, uh, Relationship Goals. Uh, if you're not familiar, this is a hashtag that gets used a lot on social media, and it is used to describe individuals or couples who are maintaining the kind of mindset that you would want to maintain in order to take your relationships in the directions you want them to go in, or who are engaged in the kind of behaviors that would actually help move your relationship in a positive direction. So for example, you know, if you, 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 uh, you know, look this hashtag up, you'll see pictures of couples on the beach at sunset, holding hands, walking together. You'll see pictures of couples at the coffee shop, sitting across the table, all dialed in, locked in, in meaningful conversation. You will oftentimes see you know, picture, pictures of couples doing things where one of the two people, like it's not their thing. So whenever I go to the yarn shop with my wife, <laughs> relationship goals. Whenever my wife comes to a triathlon with me, relationship goals, right? And in this series, we're saying and rather than turning to the wisdom of the internet or social media or the culture at large to figure out what is the mindset that we want to have, what are the activities that we want to engage in, instead, in this series, we're turning to the relationship or to the wisdom of the Bible for how to move our relationships in the direction that we want them to go in. And uh, each week we're looking just at a different biblical passage. And like we said in the first week, each passage that we look at, admittedly, these are not passages that speak directly to romantic relationships. But when you take the relational principles from those passages and you apply them to a romantic relationship or any relationship for that matter, they can have a profound impact for good on that relationship. So each week we're, we're kind of taking one of these, applying it to the relationships and seeing where it will take us. So let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this time with us, and then we'll uh, get into today's passage. Father, just as there are all kinds of relationships represented in this room today, represented in the folks who are, are joining us online today, and some of them are good, some of them are stagnant, some of them are dysfunctional and a struggle. Father, wherever we are at, pray that you would meet us, that you would help us, that you would give us just insight into ourselves and what we do or are doing to contribute to where that relationship is at today. Help us just to hear truth and wisdom from you for our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So by way of review, if you haven't been here the, uh, the, the last couple weeks, in week one uh, we, we talked about the, the mindset that you want to maintain when it comes to your most important relationships is forget about Mr. Right, forget about Mrs. Right. And week one we looked how Jesus said, there won't be marriage in heaven. And some of you stood up and cheered and, and we were concerned for your marriage and prayed for your spouse. But the idea very simply was your marriage is not the ultimate relationship in your life. Your marriage with God is. Or your, your relationship with God is. And your spouse isn't meant to be your savior. Jesus is. 
And when you put that kind of ultimate weight on a relationship with a person, it will crush that relationship or that person. And then in week two, last week, James did a great job of pointing us to this idea that your marriage is supposed to be a competition. You, you should forever be trying to outserve your spouse. That you and your spouse should be in a constant race to the back of the line. That when it comes to the hopes and the dreams and the desires that you have, you and your spouse are seeking to outbless one another in that relationship. And if you've ever been part of a relationship where the two people are trying to outserve one another, it's a good thing. Relationship goals get crushed and that kind of thing. All right? Somebody's phone is going off up in here. All right. Now, here, here's the thing with this. All right? When you do this, it's great. But this also comes with some problems. All right? And maybe, maybe it's a problem you've seen. Maybe it's a problem you've read about. Maybe it's a problem you've observed in that couple sitting next to you here at church today. Maybe it's even a problem you've experienced yourself. All right? And the problem is simply this. What do you do when you're trying to outcompete your spouse and they forever are letting you win? What do you do? You're racing them to the back of the line, and you're always the first one there. You're trying to outbless them, and you're forever doing that. What do you what do you do when you're treating it like a competition? Your spouse always lets you win. And so this week, we're gonna encourage you to throw things. <laughs> Some of you are like, I knew there was a good reason I came to church today, all right? So before you, you know, look for something to throw right now, just hang in there with me, all right, because I may mean something differently than what you have in mind here, all right? But this week, we're going to encourage you to throw things. The passage that we're going to look at comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up at verse 5. If you've got a Bible, if you've got one on your device, you can open up to that. If you're like, I don't want to open up to it, it's going to be on the screens for you. Um, but I would contend that what Peter's going to point us to here is arguably one of, if not the best responses that we can turn to when there is inequity, when, when the relationship feels lopsided, when the competition feels one-sided. So Peter starts off this way. He says, all of you. So who's he talking to? All of you. That's right. Now, now in all fairness, Peter's writing to the church. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you're on the hook with what he's going to say today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, to some degree you're off of the hook, but I will tell you right now, whether you're a follower of Jesus, what Peter is going to say is so beneficial to a lopsided relationship. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves. So he's like, hey, I'm getting ready to talk to you about a virtue that you want to work into your relationship, and you should live so thoroughly into this virtue. It should be as obvious to the people around you as the clothes you are wearing. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Peter says, in, in the most important relationships in your life, I want you to clothe yourself with humility. Now, as he begins here, Peter basically, he, 
He's going to say the same thing to us this week that Paul said to us last week. He's just going to do it a little bit differently. Peter says, in that relationship, I want you to go humble. Go, go small. Go second. Value them as though they're more valuable than you are. I want you to go after their interests before you go after your own. In your most important relationships, I want you to ask yourself, what would a humble person do? With each interaction, at each tension point, at each decision, ask yourself, what would a humble person do here? And then don't just talk about it, don't just think about it, go humble. Do the humble thing. Go small. Go second. Value them above yourself. Look out for their interests before you look out for yours. I want your humility to be so apparent, it's as obvious as the shirt on your back. Now, while we might have to admit what Peter's saying is good for our relationships, we probably also need to admit that's easier to say than it is to do. Anybody you're like, oh no, I, this is just easy for me. Yeah. In fact, when Peter says this, oftentimes there the, the, there's these objections that are well up inside of us. Oh yeah, yeah, but. Or let me tell you why I can't. And almost as if Peter anticipates those objections, he says next, he says, Clothe yourselves in humility. Well, why would I do that? Because God opposes the proud. Peter approaches relationships as though it's a dichotomy. He's like, listen, if you're going to say no to humility, you're going go to you're, you're gonna just shift right over to pride. And you need to understand, God opposes the proud. So you need to ask yourself, do I want to be in opposition with God? Because God, God pulls back from proud people. God is not interested in blessing my selfishness, my entitlement, my arrogance. He's going to stand opposed to that kind of stuff. And, and the funny thing is, before we're like, well, I don't like that about God, or I'm not, I don't want to believe in a God who's going to do something like that. We do this too. Who, who's excited about spending some time with an arrogant person today? Just can't wait to be with that entitled individual. Looking for some quality time with that relational vampire who is just going to suck you dry, and then when there's nothing left, they're going to kick you to the curb. See, we, we pull back from those kind of people too. We're opposed to that as well. So Peter's like, listen, you, I want you to go humble because God opposes the proud. And then he gives us another reason. He says, God opposes to the, the, the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Now, now, in this context, this word that we have translated here is favor. In the original language, it means to, to be inclined to help someone. To, to, to be on their side. It, it's saying that God is good to humble people. When God opposes the proud, he's like on the side of the humble. 
And then to try and illustrate that, Peter says next, he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. And the idea here isn't that like you're pinned under God's hand, but that God has his hand cupped over you to protect you from someone or something that would try and crush you. To be under God's mighty hand is to be under the canopy of his protection. Peter's like, I want you to ask yourself, what would a humble person do? And then do that. Because God opposes proud people. But he's got his hand of protection over humble people. And if you'll do the humble thing, in his time, God's going to scoop you up. He's going to lift you up. Now again, all of this can be so good for a relationship, but it still leaves us with the problem. What do I do when, when I am clothing myself in humility, but my spouse isn't? They're entering the relationship, you know, like, like with the humility equivalent of walking around with nothing but their shorts on. What do I do when there's inequity? And as though Peter anticipates that, here's what he says next. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Him being God. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Peter's, Peter's saying here, your, your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your pain, your frustration, your disappointment because of the inequity, unload that on God. Rather than unloading that on your spouse, rather than you, you know, you, your husband walks through the doors and you're going to unload on him. You're, what you see Next time you see your wife, you're going to give her both barrels. He's like, unload this on God. All, all that, that, that pain, that disappointment, that frustration, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, cast them, throw them, unload them on your Father in heaven. Now, in the church world, we, we, we sometimes have this habit of using churchy kind of phrases and then not being specific about what that looks like, like how to do that, right? And, and so in an effort to avoid that today, I want to spend a good chunk of time just kind of going, okay, what does it look like to cast our cares on God? Especially in the context of a romantic relationship where things feel lopsided. And I would contend, really what Peter is doing here is he is inviting us to pray. But it's important to understand He's not inviting us to pray formal prayers. Like, I've, I've got somebody in my life who I love, who I respect very much. I've known this person for better than 30 years. Every single public prayer that I have ever heard them pray over the course of better than 30 years begins this way. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, God, for being good to us. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer but a very formal prayer. That's not what Peter has in mind. He's like, you can put away your these and thous and all your formality for this prayer. This is also not a polite prayer that Peter has in mind. With polite prayers, 
you're calm, you, 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 you speak, you, know, you, you don't raise your voice. If you have something off color that you're thinking or feeling, you don't say that. Again, Peter does not have in mind a formal prayer. He does not have in mind a polite prayer. And you may be sitting there going, well, how do you know what kind of prayer he has in mind? I'll tell you why. Because this idea, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, Peter plagiarized that. He pulled this from another prayer. If you flip back to Psalm 55, Peter pulls this line from another prayer that is prayed in Psalm 55. See, the book of Psalms are a collection of ancient Hebrew prayers. And among other things, they are designed to teach us different ways in which we can pray. And if you read Psalm 55, and we're gonna, it is not a polite prayer. It is not a formal prayer. But it's a prayer. And so I want to take some time, work our way through this prayer, and and we'll kind of overlay it and kind of apply it to the context of a marriage, if you would. So Psalm 55, we're going to pick up here. It says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could just go hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. See, here's here's one of the downsides to a really close interpersonal relationship. The closer you are, the more potential that person has to hurt you. It's like, man, like if, if just if, if if just nobody did this for me, it wouldn't matter. But you're my wife. Of all the people to let me down, I can't believe you're the one doing that. Uh, of all the people to do this thing to me, I mean, it was our neighbor, whatever, some dork on the street, I don't even know, fine. But of all the people to do this to me, you're my husband. You're, you're, you're supposed to be my friend, my companion. My, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship with at the house of God. As we walked among the worshipers, I mean, like, we used to be that couple, we, we, we would come walking in from the parking lot, holding hands, and we would sit in those little two-person pews before they got rid of them for the comfy chairs, right? And everybody would say, oh, look at them, they just love each other so much. But now I got these really ugly things that I'm feeling, like, like let death take them. Let death take my enemy by surprise. You know what what he's basically praying there? You could go on ahead and die. That's not a polite prayer. Let, Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead for evil finds lodging among them. In other words, you can go to hell for all I care. That is not a polite prayer. And if you're thinking, like, can you, can you really pray this kind of stuff? That's what the Psalms are. They are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers that made it into the Bible. And again, here's the deal. If you got this kind of venom, this kind of poison 
coursing through you? If you, if you got this kind of ugly that you're, you're dealing with emotionally, maybe it's higher than this, maybe it's lower than this, maybe it's right at this level, it's going to come out. This kind of ugly, you cannot successfully stuff it. It's going to make its way out. So instead of slamming doors and going passive-aggressive and unleashing on your spouse like this, Peter's going, hey, why don't you unleash on your Father in heaven like this? Because it's not like he doesn't know you feel like this. You're not keeping him in the dark. You're not fooling him. He's got big shoulders. He can take it. The writer goes on. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. And when does he call to God? Evening, morning, and noon. I get up in the morning, I am a mess about what happened yesterday, and I am going to cry out in distress. This is informal. This is loud. This is raw. And I, I can't even eat at lunch. I'm so sick to my stomach over what's going on. I'm gonna, I can't sleep again at night. I'm going to cry out morning, noon, and night. Not a, not a formal kind of prayer. He prays next. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God who is, who is enthroned from old, who does not change, he will hear them and he will humble them because they have no fear of God. In other words, God, get them. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. Again, you apply that to the context of a marriage. You know, my, my wife is attacking me. My husband is violating his covenant. She told me we always would, and we're not now. He promised me we never would, and we are now. We talked about this. We wrote it down. We agreed, and now it's all blown to pieces. His talk is smooth as butter. Yet war is in his heart. You think he is such a gentleman, you should see him behind closed doors. You think she's so sweet, you ought to see her at home. His words are more smooth than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Such a smooth talker, wins every argument, is so neat and smooth and clean about it. But you know how the, you, you want to know how the knives are out? Their lips are moving. Then he prays this next. He says, cast your cares on the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay, and the bloodthirsty and the deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, 
I trust in you. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. That's where Peter's going. Cast, your, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, Peter's calling us to pray. But it's, he's not referring to some formal, polite prayer. He has this raw, informal, just honest and incredibly impolite prayer that he's referring to. And here's the thing. When we are struggling and we come to God like this, honest, desperate, knowing if anybody's going to meet us, if anybody's going to help us, it's got to be God. That's the place where God loves to meet us. And in that, in that honest, desperate place where we are crying out to him, God does meet us. That innate desire that we have to be seen and to be heard, to be cared for, to be loved, to be appreciated, God cares for you. And he will meet you there. And he is... He is far more capable of meeting your hopes, dreams, and desires than your spouse is. So Peter says, hey, when, when, when the relationship's all lopsided, you go humble. And, and when your, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your frustration, your disappointment, your, 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 your pain, you throw that on your Father in heaven because he cares for you. Now, here's, here's the thing about prayers like these. Again, I would contend this is probably the best response you could have when you feel that there's an, an, an equity in the relationship. But these kind of prayers, these are dangerous prayers to pray. See, oftentimes we will pray these prayers just hoping that God is going to change our spouse. And listen, if anybody's going to change your spouse, it's going to be God. The role to change a person's heart. Listen, you, you can threaten, you can cajole, you can manipulate your spouse into some kind of compliance. That's not a changed heart. The role to change a heart, that's God's job. I've checked, there are no vacancies in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's job isn't posted on Monster and Indeed, all right? So, so, we, 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 but we'll pray this, God, you got to change my spouse. And your best bet for God to work in your spouse's heart is to pray this kind of prayer. But when you pray this kind of prayer, you know whose heart God goes after first? It's yours. It's mine. Because, listen, when a relationship, when there is dysfunction, it's never 0%, 100%. Everybody's got something in that. And when we pray like this, God, he is inclined to go after us first. I pray like this, and God may very well point his, put his finger on the fact that I am looking for my marriage to do what only my relationship with him can do. That I'm looking for my spouse to be somebody that my spouse cannot be to me. Or I pray like this, he may put his finger on the fact that, that, that my spouse does a better job serving than I give them credit for that there are all kinds of things I've taken for granted. 
or ignored or downplayed. Or I pray like this, he might put his finger on the fact that I don't do quite as stellar of a job serving as I like to think I do. That there's a little more selfishness on my part than I'd like to admit. You are hard-pressed to find very many better responses to inequity in your relationship to this, but I warn you, this is a dangerous kind of way to pray. Because God's going to move, but he might start right here. So, you got relationship goals? Good. We should have them. There are mindsets, there are activities that help move those relationships in the, in the desire we hope they would, in the direction we desire them to move in. It starts out with the mindset. Forget about Mr. Wright. Forget about Mrs. Wright. Don't, don't look for a relationship here on earth or a person here on earth to do for you what only God can do for you. And then next, it's about, hey, this is a competition. We're going to see who can outserve who in this relationship. And if the competition becomes lopsided, if your spouse is always letting you win, then you go ahead and throw some things. Those hopes, those dreams, those desires, those frustrations, those peers, disappointment, the pain, you throw that at your Father in heaven. And then after you've done so, you go back to number two. And you continue to try and outserve that person. And if you say, why in the world am I going to try and outserve somebody I know is forever going to let me win? That's exactly what we're going to talk about next weekend. So come to church. <laughs> Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, just again, for the relationships that are here in this room, for the relationships that are represented with folks who are joining us online, would you meet us, please, with the hopes, the dreams, the desires that we have, with the frustration and the pain and the disappointment where we feel like there's inequity? God, help us to unleash on you, not on each other. God, meet us, please, in that. God, I just pray for, just for grace as you deal with our hearts. And Father, we pray for healing and health in our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.